whistle your S's. And you don't whistle everything else, so it's very confusing for me. I can't, I can't whistle, okay? Okay, I got it. What was I whistling? No idea. Steamboat Willie. Ah. Hello and welcome back to the Raising Helmets podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Carrie. We're back. And it's been quite a month and a half since our last regular episode. So the last regular podcast we had, we were in a bit of a rough spot, I think. Um, we'd oh. been sick for like a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And we had a youngster who was very young. And I think we were just under a lot of stress. And we were talking about going back to California and hoping that it'd be as relaxing as possible. And we have good news, which is that it was, thanks to our new policy of only hanging out with people at whatever in and out we're closest to. It's kind of rough being in California because we have basically an entire life's worth of people, you know, all the friends and family that we have if we still lived back there that we want to get um, to see and have to cram it all into a couple weeks at a time. But this time we actually pulled it off, I think. Yeah, we did. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Some people we didn't see as much as we wanted to, but that's a small price to pay for still being sane at the end of the trip. Yeah, I think we saw almost everybody mm-hmm. that we wanted to see. And Joseph was in a good mood generally, and Rory was more independent than he usually is, and they both had a great Christmas, and it was a lot of fun. And we got to meet Father Tim Grumbach at In-N-Out, which was the first time I've ever gotten In-N-Out with a priest, so I was really happy. Mm-hmm. We actually did it twice, once after you went back to Virginia to, quote, work. Right, which leads us to the next topic. Um <laughs> I have not had to work in several weeks for reasons that will be obvious to people who know me, Um, and it has been extremely nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, That included about a week of, or closer to two weeks, of just me here while you guys were still in California, and so I got to hang out with all my friends who are still back here, and that was a great time. We try to maximize the time that the boys get to spend with grandparents and family in California, and that means I make a lot of solo trips, or I stay later or leave earlier while Kyle stays home to work. So that was really nice, and you guys got the extra time back there. Um, but I think what the past few weeks has taught me, which we've been treating as a paternity 2.0, is that paternity leave 2.0 that parenting a newborn is not a one-person job. Mm -mm. And parenting two kids at the same time definitely is not. And I tried to help as much as I could. I mean, I was an equal parent whenever I was at home. But when it's it's just you at home, like, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be one person taking care of two kids. I think that that's something that's really messed up in the way our society operates and in how it encourages people... To relocate for work, which is what Mm -hmm. we ended up basically having to do. Well, I think we got this whole situation with um, me being in California for a month and you being off work for how long? Six weeks? Kind of gave us glimpses into a more functional version of our society where I was... We were actually staying at my parents' house and spending a lot of time with your family. And um, all of our siblings and our parents were super helpful with the boys. And it was really, really nice. And we really saw Rory flourish under that big family relationship. And 
not that uh, not everybody has that, and we don't have it when we were in Virginia. Um, but it's hard not being back with them and knowing that both boys are missing out on that time with them. But we are really, really lucky to have that time when we do have it. And then to come back here and have Kyle be on leave um, and able to help out with the boys. I mean, we went for walks as a family. He spent a ton of time with them. He would read them books. I got to you know, do a lot of cooking and get some other work done. Like I subbed at my school. And um, I mean, Joseph is still really little. He's only five months old. And it's tough when um, you're at work for long days. And I really wish everybody could experience more time dual parenting and not just uh, having to work as much basically having their time valued parenting as much as it is valued at work that's a good way of putting it we just we got to see really up close how productive in actual meaningful ways it is for families to spend time together yeah We've used this time at home to potty train Rory, which... Gosh, yeah. If we did nothing else, that would have been worth it. That led to a lot of um, towels, but he figured it out pretty quickly. He thinks all poops are chicken nuggets. And uh, due to one unfortunate phrasing incident, he calls all shapes and sizes of poops chicken nuggets. Which, how could you have predicted that, calling a poop a nugget one time? But that's part of life. So we call all poops chicken nuggets and will for the next 40 years. Uh, I'm not sure about that. You know what else he calls chicken nuggets? Tater tots. <laughs> yes. Tater tots and poops are both chicken nuggets. He has had actual chicken nuggets like twice. I don't know what we did wrong. Yeah, well, we're right. Um, Joseph can sit up on his own, which I think I've said this before, but every month of parenting a baby is much easier than the month before. And we can now sit Joseph up next to Rory, and he will just watch Rory. He uh, is also a ravenous eater who will dive for any food he sees. He will literally demolish Kyle's homemade English muffins or slices of Kyle's homemade sourdough, which have both gotten really, really good over the furlough. That's another plus. Yeah, lots of bread making. And uh, he likes banana, and he will just chomp down on an apple for a while. So he's eating a lot and just like adorably like a little monster. He's a big chunkin' monster now. He's he got is. big thighs. He's going to catch up to Rory in probably a couple of years. They, they wear the same t-shirts. Yep. T-shirts are now fungible between boys and <laughs> between us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you don't wear my t-shirts. No, that would be But weird. I like to wear your t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, what else? Rory is capable of complex thought. Obviously, since he can tell. I guess we don't know for sure Joseph isn't. Right. Um, what did what did Rory do? Oh, he just he just seems to be more on the ball. He he makes jokes now. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, does. <laughs> he thinks it's funny to say random places that he could, should go to bed, and he will start naming like the trash can and Toby's cage for where he wants to be put to sleep. Well, you started that, but he did think he it was funny, on. and he managed to continue the joke. Yeah, he thinks it's funny to say there are spiders somewhere when there's not, which is a disturbing line of humor. I can't remember if we've mentioned on the podcast before, but Rory is very 
sensitive to his fingers getting messy, which is something he got from you. Kyle's nodding. Yep, I was the same way as a kid. Um, he really wants us to clean off his fingers. It's kind of funny. Um, he can have food on his face and he doesn't care, but on his fingers he'll get really upset and need them cleaned up right away. Um, so today he found finger paints that I bought when he was an infant, expecting to have tons of finger painting fun with him, and he was never th all that into them. But he found them today and was begging to use them, so I got him all set up with finger paints, and he just stared at them, and I demonstrated how to use them, and he was like, Mommy, do it! And I said, no, it's for you. And he just kept looking. And I felt bad for him because he wanted to participate, but he could not bring himself to put his fingers in the paint. So I got him a paintbrush, and he started using that. Um, it kind of reminded me of being a preschool teacher, where, like, you don't... You try to find ways for kids to participate in stuff, even if, even if it's not ideally or the way you had pictured it. You know, I wanted him to finger paint because it's, it's fun and it's a cool way to see them blend and everything, but he just wasn't having it. I, for one, am not going to complain if our child is a little bit too particular about not making a mess. Yeah, I think there's benefits to the finger painting, but they're not, you know, he's not missing out on anything too much. Um... Anything else that Rory or Joseph has been doing lately? Joseph loves Rory. He follows Rory around with his eyes all the time. When he hears Rory's voice, he turns and looks for him. Yeah, it can't be good for Rory's ego that literally he has a fan who will laugh and smile just from him walking in the room. It's but it amazing. Is so adorable <laughs> and super handy because Joseph will just sit there and watch Rory. It's so great. I don't know why. A baby just assumes that a toddler is special, but he just wants to see the guy who's slightly bigger than him. I don't know what it is, but yeah. They're starting to mess with each other a little bit, too. If they're lying on the bed or on the floor next to each other, they'll um, Joseph will try and grab Rory. And Rory's really good about being gentle and engaging right on Joseph's level. Um, so they sort of push each other around on the floor a little bit. It's not, not full-blown wrestling, but you can sort of see it in the future. <laughs> and Rory will volunteer to hold Joseph, especially if he wants us to do something for him. Uh, but then he'll walk up to Joseph and he'll just kind of hold on to his feet. <laughs> like, yes, I am holding Joseph in the literal sense. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a mismatch between desire to help and ability to help. But it's pretty cute. Yeah, we have to watch out sometimes because I have... Oh, excuse me. I have seen him try to climb on top of Joseph or sort of roll over Joseph if he doesn't notice him. <laughs> but, um, you know, just brother stuff, I guess. Uh, do you have anything in the news? Neither of us have been checking the news very much, I think. In the news? What is this? The Roman Circus podcast? Oh, I'm sorry. On the docket? <laughs> well, the docket has been underfunded due to the shutdown. So. Yeah, we had to get a lot of extensions. Um, but I do have one thing on the docket. Um, I don't know if this is weird or not, but sometimes I search on Twitter for the Helmics. Oh, yeah. People refer to us as the Helmics without tagging us, and I've seen some tweets that were fun and that I had missed out you don't on have previously. A, you don't have an <laughs> alert that does that for you? 
Can you make Twitter alerts like Google alerts? I, I think I have one. Oh. Anyway. I, well, it's a, I have a saved search. In oh, it. yeah. I have a saved search. Well, there's search this too. one account called Ball and Helmix that yes. tweets a lot, so I have to, like, block that or else that's everything all the, you all get. The I have no idea who these helmets are or why <laughs> they're balling. It's actually really funny. Um, Do not subscribe. But anyway, thanks to this search, I came across an extremely young entrepreneur from West Virginia to whom we may be related. Well, you certainly are related. Well... I'm related by maybe marriage. Through, maybe through blood. I. <laughs> that's possible. I don't think. Okay, I don't, fine. Fine. All right. Okay. You can be right. the one married or not married. <laughs> you can be the one related to yes. the ten-year-old dog entrepreneur. He's a dog. No. So okay. So he's ten years old. Yes. His name is Zeb Helmick. That's seventy in dog years. Yeah, he's seventy in dog years. That's right. He has four boxers, and the dog treats that his family was feeding them were hurting their tummies. It, the article did not get more specific than okay. just hurting their tummies. And he wanted to create new dog treats that the, his dogs uh, could eat without hurting their tummies, I guess. they. I really, I can't, I can't overemphasize how vague this article was on exactly what it meant to be hurting a boxer's tummy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they... Uh, he himself went on the record as saying he wants dog treats without, quote, trillions of ingredients. And so they developed some all-natural dog treats, but discovered that the only way to make them shelf-stable is either t- to add preservatives. This is him and his family. Which would defeat the point. Which would defeat the point. Or to completely dehydrate them. Okay. And so something called the West Virginia University Extension Service provided them with food dehydration classes so that they could um, develop this line of dog treats and they started selling them at farmers markets and stuff they're called oh what are they called i think they're called zeb's barky bites really yeah That's so he's a 10 year old entrepreneur zeb helmick good um, for him remember him folks <laughs> yeah it's kind of a cute story i thought dehydrated dog treats like astronaut ice cream but i guess so for but dogs. for dog treats cool for he says dogs. his favorite part He's now running this business or something, I guess. And his favorite part is meeting all the dogs. That's such a good answer. He's yeah. going to be running the country someday. I sure, I sure hope so. Then we can come out of the woodwork and like, <laughs> I'm hey, your remember us? Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my docket. Good for him. My That's, docket announcement. Yeah. Sorry, I I wrote it down. I wrote it down while we were in California. It's not as topical now as, as it was then. Um, but apparently, Christmas Eve in America has a thirty oh, heard of that. has a thirty seven percent spike in heart attacks. Oh no! Compared to the average day, the average day Goodness it goes gracious. it goes up a third, and um, that's a lot. I think that's horrible. I think it's statistically significant. And apparently, Monday is the most likely day for a heart attack. Uh, making Christmas Eve of 2018, which was on a Monday, oh, dear. especially problematic. Now, I think probably the reason Monday has the spike is because people are going to work, and maybe that's less true on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. But the this peer-reviewed article has no idea why people have heart attacks the day before Christmas. That's so weird. Yeah, it is. And I don't think it's like it's a gradual increase. I think there's like a spike. Right. Um, I wonder... If if it's like the stress of if it's people who are lonely or something like that facing a st- stressful holiday, 
either with family that they don't like or having to spend the day without family. That makes sense. I don't know. So anyway. It seems to be the obvious answer, but it definitely doesn't mean it's the correct answer. Yeah. So remember to take a breath next Christmas Eve, folks, only 11 months away. So I'm staying topical. I have something else. Uh, okay. Okay, good. Noted. I'm glad we're talking about this. <laughs> Uh, I would like to move on now to shaming what is my new least favorite Twitter account, at CNBC Make It. This is a great night for sending people to Twitter accounts we don't approve of. It's the worst. So they came across my timeline today by tweeting an article. I don't even see it anymore. But basically the point is that according to certain experts, you will save half a million dollars by not having children. And it was accompanied by a photograph of two screaming twin baby girls, which I just find the whole thing incredibly offensive. That, that, uh, I mean, it's one thing to talk about the, the very real and, and difficult to manage cost of raising a child. That's absolutely a viable line of inquiry. But to frame it in terms of, uh, ways to save or make half a million dollars I think that's what it was I think that not having kids nets people about half a million dollars more over the course of their lifetime right because usually it's phrased as I don't know I didn't actually read the article that's the thing it's not even (laughs) phrased per kid in the headline neither of us obviously clicked on the link it's 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 phrased as um instead of instead of considering having another kid this is how much it'll cost it's like considering giving up on the idea of having children. You're just half a millionaire now. Yeah, uh, it's just bonkers because it's awful to frame people and and the experience of raising children as an experience that will net you more or less money. Um, and to accompany it with a picture of the twins both screaming really drove home the fact that it's just anti-natalist propaganda at this point. Like, there's nothing about that article that was even-handed. It was just, your life will suck more if you have kids. That's That was the entire messaging going on there, and that's really upsetting. Right. The presumption is that having kids is, is a bad idea. Absolutely, right. And um, it's a matter of how much it'll cost you to, to make this poor decision. And, you know, like, as... As parents, I think we could be accused of being biased or trying to justify our own life decisions or trying to make other people's decisions for them. And it's not about that. But what it's about is the fact that people are inherently valuable and raising families is valuable to society, to everybody, in ways that people who try to measure it in money are not going to be able to comprehend. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's important to start off by pointing out that you know, either a kid is inherently valuable or, or not, and putting a price tag on a child, well, perhaps useful for determining whether or not you're financially capable of raising a child under certain circumstances is otherwise pretty morally problematic. Um, I would also like to point out that I know several priests, and neither of that, none of them seem to have much money, so <laughs> I don't, Good point. don't think that always nets you that savings? Well, I think that um, when it comes to measuring the cost of raising a child, that's something that uh, 
needs to be talked about more on the macro level of how expensive is it to raise children and is this something feasible for everybody to do who would like to have a family. But to talk about whether it's um, financially reasonable or valuable to a family to have a child in particular uh, definitely is devaluing the dignity of that kid. Like, one person doesn't deserve to be talked about in terms of dollars and cents, even though it's important to talk about what are the costs to a family and society as a whole to support families and kids. Right, which brings us back to what has become the theme of this podcast, (laughs) which is that we've gone away from this idea that raising a child is something a community does centered around a large family structure and has Mm -hmm. turned into something that two people who are in a relationship decide to do on their own and maybe grandma visits sometimes. Right. It's crazy to think that um, the the narrative of parenting is that it's like a choice that you make and your choice isn't supposed to affect anybody else. You know, no one should be inconvenienced by your choice to have a kid. No one should have to support your choice to have a kid. You know, it's been mocked and it's been said over and over, but it does take a village. Like that's the one thing I've learned from parenting, if nothing else. Um, anyway, I want to shame CNBC Make It, the the publication that churned out that article a little bit more by uh, making fun of some of their other recent tweets. Here's how much money Americans think you need to make to be considered rich. Kyle's holding his head in his hands. Should I not do this? Go ahead. <laughs> we can edit it out. Uh, how much money is it? I don't want to click on any of these. Okay. It's just a, it's just a long stre- stream of terrible. How to answer quirky interview questions. I got over $100 worth of free stuff on my birthday. Here's where to find the best deals. This millennial makes $50,000 a year writing about food in New York City. Here's how she spends her money. All this is terrible. Nobody should read any of this. Ooh. An 87-year-old millionaire buried treasure in the Rockies, and he's offered one main clue... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no now we have to keep this entire thing that's amazing oh no warren buffett and bill gates proved that giving up this one thing will make Wait, you more successful in life go back to the treasure hunt <laughs> okay, click on okay. the treasure hunt all right let's let's find out where are we going hunting for treasure oh man they hit a bunch of gold in the rockies he was a fighter pilot he says it could be found soon or a thousand years from now, what? his wife doesn't even know where it's uh, buried. <laughs> quote, if I die tomorrow, the knowledge of that location goes in the coffin with me. End quote. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. Oh, no. Did you, not, did you leave clues? The main piece of guidance Fenn has offered is a cryptic 24-line poem he wrote in his self-published memoir, The Thrill of the Chase. Oh, my goodness. He has since shared the poem on Instagram. We have to read it. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. I'm clicking on the link. Oh, no. Page not found. Let's see. This podcast is about to jump the shark. He shared the poem on Instagram. All right. I'm just going to search for him on Instagram. That's left. You're editing this episode. <laughs> okay. Forest Fen Treasure. That must <laughs> be <go>. him. <clears throat> All right. This, this must... Be it. Are we ready for the poem? Yes. As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where, and hint of riches new and old. 
Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put in below the home of brown. From there it's no place for the meek. The end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer, I already know. I've done it tired, and now I'm weak. So bear me all, so hear me all, and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. That's, <laughs> that's so bad. And not super helpful. It's, I don't know. It may be I mean, maybe, maybe if you live in Colorado, Colorado. I think... I think just you know what he means. I think just to be sure, we need to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> well, that definitely took a turn. Wow. Anyway, this website is bad, and they should feel bad. Even, they should. Even I've heard from inside sources that even CNBC as a whole understands that this is a bad website or a bad sub website. Yes. What did we want to talk about in this podcast, Kyle? March for Life happened last week. I went for the first time. You and Rory went for the second time. I remember mm-hmm. you you took him when he was just a few months old. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, and it's something that we decided not to go to last year, and I don't know if we'll go next year. I think we're undecided. Last year, I think I was newly pregnant, not feeling super great. Um, we were busy. And I usually have work. Yeah. Uh, but I think the thing that gives us the most pause is that the organization generally aligns itself with figures and speakers like this year, Ben Shapiro, that we really do not like. Yeah, it's kind of tough because I want I want the country to see the numbers that will turn out in support for the unborn and the March for Life. But at the same time, when you're showing up, um, what are what are you seeing about the people who are running the event? Um, it's similar to me for, uh, to the Women's March, which I attended its first year in 2017. Um, but I don't know. I felt I haven't gone the past two years because even though I think um, there are really important issues facing women in this country and I want to show my support to women, the march itself and the founders have done some things that I um, strongly disagreed with. And it's tough to know if I can support them. I it's, mean, I can't support right. the the message of the march 100%. Right. And you, I think, I think the March for Life people do a better job of trying to make sure that their message is purely a pro-life message, mm-hmm. whereas the Women's March has done a pretty good job of making clear that there are certain views that are pro-woman that they will not espouse because they are not the type of pro-woman that they would like. Yeah. Um, But that's a difficult line to draw, and I think everybody draws it differently. And I think a lot of people draw it unquestioningly um, around the people they decide are heroes and against the people they decide are villains. And so a lot of people are going to show up to a Ben Shapiro speech and just be super glad to be seeing their hero perform live no matter what happens. 
and I think we err too far on the other side of that. I think you and I try not to align ourselves with anybody that we suspect might be acting in bad faith um, or even just might might be a, come problematic. Yeah. Humans, I think, were never meant to be heroes is my new slogan that doesn't work very well. But there's just no person that I feel like I can really get behind and, and know that they're not going to act in bad faith and it'll be thrown in my face. I'm happy to stand for ideals, but uh, when it comes to institutions, the only ones that we unquestionably uh, get behind here at the Raising Helmix podcast is the Catholic Church and Aldi. Right. <laughs> yeah, just just those two. Oh, I'm two. sorry. And In-N-Out Burger. And In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. And uh, the Holy Cow Burger place. And Wait, no. Okay, no, let's go back. Wait, all right. Yeah, people just or the... institutions, they're always, they're always going to let you down. Right. And at some point, I mean... I think I think the problem in the 21st century is that everybody on social media has decided that they are themselves a public speaker and a public figure, mm-hmm. which is has never happened before, right? Like you'd have two people who would be really loud in the town square, and it would be <laughs> the drunk and the <laughs> mayor, right? And maybe like the person running for mayor. And sure. And now <laughs> I I. And now literally everybody has to have a view on everything. I think Town Crier was actually a job. It was a job. Wee Willy Winky. What would they cry about? Everything. The news? Uh, Maggots. And we are all, we are all national criers. Right. We're now, we're all our own private little news anchors. And it's exhausting and it's unhealthy. And this was me on Facebook for a little while around 2016 and 2017. Uh And it was extremely bad and everybody seems to still want to do it unless people I mean so you've got the people who have the sides right but you've also got this even more exhausting I think people who just insist on mocking everything and maybe those things deserve to be mocked but you're not being paid to do it and you don't have to do it and so like this thing happened at the march for life that was extremely bad and we all as a nation have decided we need to talk about it for like two weeks and nobody's going to get anything out of it but everybody has something to say and everybody feels like they have to say something right or or be accused of of being um hypocritical when they then talk about something else or don't talk about something else right right. you have to earn your cred to talk about the thing you care about by talking about things maybe don't care about as much but people will accuse you of not caring about your thing if you don't also talk about this other thing it's ridiculous and such a perfect way to start 2019 because i think it's just going to continue to get worse it's so bad there's discourse about the discourse about the discourse and who's allowed to say what and when right all all to just properly entrench yourself in a position that you were always going to hold um so anyway we've been pretty frustrated (laughs) about that i do again we we resolved not to talk about the thing we're obviously talking about not talking about um 
But I do think that it is encouraging sometimes to see friends who dive right into the take wars and then realize that they've made some mistake and try to pull out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to back out of a statement that you end up deciding you can't back, that you went right. hastily. Because I think we've got a pretty good definition of what somebody is going to be like if they have decided to enter into the various skirmishes that go on online. And it's refreshing to see somebody start that position and then go, oh, no, this isn't the kind of person I want to be. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm seeing it happen with people that I wouldn't have expected it to happen to, who people who I thought were, like, pretty entrenched in, in having those fights. And it's encouraging to see people say, hold on, this can't be okay. Yeah, it really should be okay to not say anything. Um, and that's not that's not to um, jump on people who come to hasty conclusions, and it's not to say it's... Um, because it's actually also bad to come back snarkily and say, oh, you didn't have all the information, you shouldn't have said anything. It's okay to say something if you really want to, but... Um, and it's okay to be wrong. It's extremely okay to be yeah. wrong. But it, I mean, it's also okay to recognize that you don't have much to offer in a certain topic. And like, I'll, I often think, wow, this has made me really mad and I want to say something, but I don't have new analysis. It didn't personally affect me. And I'd rather read the takes and maybe retweet this, the really good ones. But I don't, I don't need to offer anything up myself. And you can give it a beat, right? Like you can wait a couple of days to see how yeah. things play out. And we're so warped. We are so incredibly poisoned by what we've decided collectively is important and not important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's worth saying, too, is is that sometimes the best way to say, hey, this is a discussion we never should have been having in the first place, is just to not say anything. And then people know you're the kind of person who only talks about stuff that actually is substantive. I think there's a value to be having that reputation, and I think not enough people pursue that reputation. Right, or um, being okay with, the fact that even if something is substantive, maybe you don't need to be the person to talk about it. Like, retweeting underrepresented voices is um, a good practice, I think. Yeah, looking looking for the best view, I think is valuable. Yeah, looking, looking to be correct, no matter who you get the view from. I mean, there's that hilarious clickhole article... Heartbreaking, the worst man you know, finally made a good point. But, I mean, coming full circle a little bit, you shouldn't be getting your politics from individual humans. You should be getting them based on their merit. Sometimes you're going to be aligned with some good people or bad people that way. Um, I hope nobody's taking this as a veiled endorsement of one side or another, and if you're taking it as confirmation bias for something that you already think, I'm probably not making my point well enough. Or if you think we're calling out anybody in particular. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just try to remember when I'm worried about, like, are people going to think X about me for not tweet- tweeting or talking about something else, that we, um, we construct these very small online personas, no matter how much you put online, it's always going to be smaller than who you are in real life and um it's important to to be okay with who you are as a person in the way that you treat the internet 
as compared to your real self and to understand that you know the people seeing your tweets online are only ever getting a small picture you can't ever express your entire person there because remember folks everybody needs to log off and listen to podcasts instead <laughs> i don't know i hope that didn't come across too preachy we just <laughs> just want people to be able to enjoy being online again yeah someday someday one beautiful day. Yeah. One last caveat is that I think um, not talking about disasters as they happen can be a really privileged thing because it's not something that's affecting your life personally. And to say, like, oh, take a beat, you know, shut yourself off, enjoy it, don't go crazy. Um, we're not saying blind yourself to what's happening we're just saying you don't have to be the one telling everybody else how to feel i think youtube is the only social media site that started with millennials and has gotten more popular with the next generation youtube yeah um everything else has dropped i mean snapchat maybe is more generation z but youtube is the only one where more I think I just constantly hear about all the stupid stuff Generation Z is doing on YouTube. So my friend's sister is like 13 or 14, and she did a bunch of uh, polls and Instagram stories about what social media her Gen Z cohort uses, and the only app that got 100% buy-in was YouTube. Like, less than 100% of people had every other social media website she pulled about but all of the Gen Zers she knew used YouTube I may be becoming just an old dad but <laughs> I'm troubled YouTube seems bad YouTube seems bad and Netflix seems bad Netflix is actively like trying to kick people off their platform it seems I think like it it's the only conclusion you can come to yeah it has chugging tin and super wings but gosh at what cost <laughs> Oh, gosh. we got to do a whole podcast on television someday. <laughs> Man. Uh, but we are canceling Netflix because it is bad. And so we are binge-watching The Crown, which is mostly bad. Yeah, it's, I'm a little bit disappointed, but, like, you can't be disappointed in the actors and costumes, so. Right. Actors, but. costumes, and, like, the fact that history happened. Yeah, uh, it was actually really um, comforting to know that, like, nothing vaguely foreboding meant that the queen was about to die or anything like that. <laughs> That's true. You, you generally can look <laughs> up what happened, which I guess is also true of other TV shows. I was also watching Call the Midwife, um, but it turns out our library has those on DVD, so I'll be okay. Yep. And then we're watching, um, well, oh, The Kimmy Good Place. Schmidt. Yeah, oh. we're, we're watching the Kimmy Schmidt and then we're canceling it, which means we're on a binge rush to watch these shows. Before uh, the next billing cycle. Exactly, yeah. Which is, I think, the 29th. So the last pieces here of Kimmy Schmidt that are air- that are airing on Netflix are not great. Well, we never really liked the show for its overall episodes. It was always its hilarious one-liners. Well, season one was actually really good. Season one was really good. Um, but the later seasons, they definitely wrote themselves out of story. Definitely. But the one-liners have always been good. So. Yeah. That's basically it. The rest of the show is trash. Yeah. Man, what a stupid platform. I hope Netflix gets what's coming to them real soon. 
Yeah, well, their navigation was not great to begin with, and then they started, like, auto-playing trailers for everything. Yeah, it's bad. It's so it's bad. It's real bad. Uh, what else is bad? Facebook is bad. Insta- oh, yeah, delete your Facebook. Instagram is bad. Well, one of if you're married, one of you has to keep it. Because mm. all of your friends and relatives will contact me. If one of you is still interested in Facebook. I'm not interested. I just know that all of your... Like, ants. They could talk to my mom and she could talk to me. That's a good point. All right, maybe I will delete it. What else is bad? Um, (laughs) Just the internet. I'm against it. Target. We're not that into Target. Are we we canceling Target? (laughs) My jeans don't fit me right. Electronics are too expensive. I used to love Target, but... They're uh, they're really going after stay-at-home mom's money, and oh, yeah, I as a stay-at-home mom, I've decided <laughs> it's gross, Good. and I don't like going there. Yeah, well, you get some good stuff at thrift shops. I do like thrifting, but it's not just that. Like, I'm scared to go to Target because they will cost me all my money. Like, their stuff is pretty crappy. Their stuff is pretty bad. Bring it home, and then it it starts pilling right away, and they'll dryer or it breaks or right what have we gotten recently that didn't work or that didn't work yeah what have we gotten that we didn't like from target oh it just i bought baby clothes there because it's like oh three dollar t-shirt and it's super cute and it looks really soft and then you wash it and it immediately looks terrible and i tried to get jeans and had to spend an hour just to find my size and Old Navy, too. Like, Old Navy stuff looks amazing off the rack, and then you wash it once, and it looks really awful. Yep. And that's why we as millennials are killing both of those things. So see you folks next month. Bye, everybody. Hey, do you go potty on the potty chair now? Yeah. Do you like going potty? Yeah. What do you get when you go potty on the potty chair? No, no, no. And what do you get to play? You get to catch Pokemon? Yeah! Pretty cool. And what do you call poopies? Little poopies. What are they? What do you call them? You say, oh, it's... Chicken nuggets. (laughs) You're so funny. Ah! Do you like going poopy on the potty chair? Yeah, I like to play games. You like to play games too? Yeah. What do you like to play? Spiders. <laughs> you like to play spiders? Yeah. That's so funny. Hey, guess what? I love you. I love you too. Mm.